The Tech Qualified Podcast is dedicated to providing B2B technology marketers with access to real-world case studies and best practices. We interview industry leaders to uncover what's working in the world of B2B technology marketing. If you're wondering how you can position your technology company as the choice in the marketplace, then follow along as we go on this journey together. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Tech Qualified. I'm Tristan Pellegrino, and I'm here with my business partner in motion, Justin Brown. Hello, everyone. This episode of Tech Qualified is brought to you by Motion, a marketing agency that focuses on the strategy and development thought leadership programs for B2B technology companies. Today, our guest is Steve Pollack, the Director of Marketing and Design Services at Banyan Hills Technologies. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, to give our audience a little background on yourself, can you tell us about some of your past work experience and what you're up to right now at Banyan Hills Technologies? Of course. I started out my career as a journalist, and I spent about the first eight years or so writing day in, day out. At one point, I was working for a small newspaper that needed to improve their website, and I raised my hand and said I'd be happy to take on that task. Not knowing at the time that raising my hand to do that would set me on a path to uh, learn all kinds of things digital when it comes to SEO, how to build websites, how to code in HTML and CSS, and gradually just learning more and more about how to develop audiences in the digital world. From the newspaper, I went on to another website, an environmental and green news website called the Mother Nature Network. It was there that I really got my graduate degree in SEO, learning all kinds of things about how to structure a site to optimize for search engines and how to write stories that would really resonate with an online audience, especially in search. From there, I went to a small furniture company here in Atlanta called Ballard Designs. At Ballard, I really got a deep dive into e-commerce and learning a whole lot about SEM and paid search in addition to SEO. I also got a, a good look at how a full-fledged e-commerce operation works. The furniture company had probably 10,000 SKUs or so, and, and there were a lot of moving parts to that business. So it was a really wonderful educational opportunity, uh, especially in light of it being a B2C company. It was the first B2C opportunity that I had. From there, I went to NCR, which is a large Fortune 500 company. This was where I got some heavy-duty B2B experience. We were selling point-of-sale software and hardware to small and medium-sized businesses. So again, my SEO skills came into play. The SEM was also a place where I had heavy responsibilities. In addition to that, working at NCR was a real treat because I learned a whole lot about marketing strategy, how to plan campaigns, really all aspects of digital marketing and marketing in general. It was also one place where I started doing some additional print advertising as well. So that was a really great experience also. From there, I am currently working at Banyan Hills Technologies. We're an Internet of Things company, and we sell software to basically be able to connect anything to the Internet. All right. Great background there. Appreciate you taking us through that. Excited to see how you're applying some of that in today's environment. And before we do that, can you walk us through, you know, you mentioned that Banyan Hills Technologies is an IoT company. Can you talk about the ideal customer profile and, and what exactly the organization does for those customers? 
Sure. Basically, our customers come from a wide range of industries. What they all have in common is that they have some sort of assets that are out there working in the field that they want to keep track of. They want to be able to monitor the status of it. They want to interact with it somehow. They want to get data from the device and, and just really understand what it's doing while it's operating out there in the field. So when I say it's a wide range of different customers in different industries, we have people in industrial refrigeration. We have people who are operating kiosks. We also have people in the healthcare field. But again, the common thread through all of them is that they have things that, as in the things of Internet of Things, that they want to be connected to and not only just reading data about it, but pushing commands back down to it, being able to perhaps see when there's a potential problem coming down the pike. In addition to that, they want to be able to read analytics to be able to optimize the performance of whatever the thing they have operating in the field. So it's hard for me to kind of narrow down the ideal customer, if you will, because the software has so many different applications and so many use cases that a lot of times it's often customer driven what they want to do with the software. Got it. And maybe for our audience, because IoT has really evolved quite a bit, right? I mean, it seems like everything is connected to the network at some level. Can you talk maybe about the evolution of, of devices and some of those examples where customers have these assets in place that are connected to the network, but they need more information from these items and how that impacts their business? Sure. I think that the origin story of, of our company fits well with giving a little bit of context on how things have changed over the years. Our CEO and founder was a guy named Steve Latham. Steve was actually working at NCR and he was over the business line that was handling the Blockbuster Express machines. If you think back just a couple of years, these were machines that were similar to the kiosks that Redbox has out there now basically renting DVDs. Redbox actually ended up purchasing the Blockbuster Express line from NCR. When Steve was working there, he had about 10,000 machines out there in the field and it became necessary to use software to try and keep track of these machines to understand basically which ones were selling the most, which ones maybe were having some sort of network connectivity problems. In addition to that, he occasionally needed to run reports that the CEO wanted to know about, maybe some obscure data point. So Steve worked pretty hard to build this software and, and deploy it and get it out there. It's really a matter of being able to run a business that, that size that you need software to be able to talk long distances, if you will and to keep track of the machines that are out there in the field. So after leaving NCR, Steve started this company and took a lot of the ideas that he had learned from that experience at NCR and spun it into the, the software that we're selling today. And it's much more robust, it's much more stable, it's much more scalable, and it really has gotten to the point now where there's really very little in terms of limits of what the software is capable of doing in terms of connectivity. We always like to tout that we can get anything connected to the internet. And so especially as 5G is coming down the pike and it's going to make things even more connected, if you will, because there's going to be a, a much larger of a, a pipeline, if you will, for data to be flowing from these devices. And when I say a pipeline in terms of 5G, does that kind of resonate with you or you understand what a, kind of the metaphor is for that? Yeah, but even for our audience, would you mind exploring that a little bit so we're, we're all on the same page there? Yeah, of course. So with 5G, 
basically what you're looking at is instead of having to think of data as water flowing through the pipes right now, maybe we have a, a quarter inch pipe that water is flowing through. When 5G comes down the pipe and becomes more and more prevalent, it's really going to open up that pipe and go from maybe a quarter of an inch to, I'm actually maybe misstating this, but maybe two inches wide. So a lot more data will be able to flow through the pipes. And what that means is that you're going to have a lot more information that's going to be coming through and the, the data will mean more and more prevalent applications. Applications will be able to turn things around much and all types of different types of things will be possible, maybe that, that weren't possible before. All right. Yeah. Glad. Thanks for that background there. Steve, you mentioned because the software has so many different applications and so many different use cases out there with a variety of industries. Can you talk a little bit about the customer journey? So how, how does that get started on, on your side? What types of things are you doing to generate interest and then take folks through a customer lifecycle there? Of course, sure. So customers come to us via different channels. Sometimes they come to us through social media, advertising, Sometimes they find our website through the traditional means of SEO. We maintain a newsletter list as well. Sometimes they also come through referrals from other people at our company. What ends up happening, typically the, the customer is they tend to be somewhat technically savvy and they are trying to figure out if something can be done. They'll get together with our engineers and there's normally an onboarding time period where we're working with them trying to identify what the use cases that they're trying to achieve, what's it going to take to achieve that. Then we kind of go through a, a couple of different stages where we'll start actually diagramming and figuring out how the, the software should be built in order to integrate with our existing platform. Sometimes people have unique hardware that they want to see connected to the platform. Software naturally needs to integrate with that hardware. And then once it integrates, then they may have some sort of unique KPIs that they want us to build and statistics that they want to keep track of. Other events happening that they want us to make sure that we are recording in our software. And once we do that, then we'll roll out some sort of a test, a small scale test, if you will. And then everything goes well with the test and we roll it out to the network and really scale up from there. Got it. Steve, you mentioned, you know, with your background kind of coming up as a writer to begin with and then transitioning into SEO as a primary channel and then also getting exposure uh, on paid acquisition. What are the types of things that you all are doing in order to generate th those visits to the website that you mentioned, which sometimes kick off conversations? What does that look like? I'm a heavy believer in content marketing, and so that's a, a big part of my background. So a lot of times I'm always on the search for story ideas for article ideas, trying to figure out what's resonating with people. A lot of times I'm going through social media and seeing what other people are, are writing about, both from an industry perspective as well as my competitors. So I do a lot of reading. Again, the, these ideas can come from most anywhere. Sometimes they come from surprising places. I may get an idea for something from a completely different industry, but I just think that someone wrote an interesting article or took an interesting angle on something. And I think of a way that I can apply it to my industry. So I try to do something every week. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out just based on time and other things that I have going on. But I'll try to post something or other every week. I always keep an eye out for the SEO. As much as I love SEO, I, I don't want to be too SEO'd. And so the most important thing is to keep the reader in mind and make sure that you have interesting content that people are going to actually want to read, not just putting stuff out there that you think is going to attract the most search engine traffic. So that's basically what I'm looking for in terms of content 
content marketing. Social kind of flows from there also. I use a lot of the stuff that's on the website, whether it be the website pages or the posts that we're writing or the news and use that to stock the social media that, that we're putting out there, the social media posts, I should say. So those are the biggest ways that we are currently doing things in terms of the content that we're putting out there. But I'm probably endlessly interested in, in seeing what other people are writing and looking for ideas that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of how you're using content along the customer journey, are there any things that you're doing or writing to try and continue to educate as they go through that journey? That's an interesting question. A lot of times I will put the blog post out there thinking more along the lines of these are kind of first touch types of pieces that we want to put out there. First touch, meaning we're getting people interested in coming to our website, learning about us. The kind of the second touch and continuing education kinds of things. I save more of that for the email marketing that we do. Some of this material is not necessarily different, but in the email itself, I may say something differently, introduce it differently. I'm actually not segmenting these folks differently in my emails, but just a continuation of the education, if you will, on their IoT journey is what I'm thinking of in the continuing emails. We will, though, for the sales folks, craft emails for them to send out to specific prospects. And that seems to have a pretty good success rate. So this is stuff that may not appear on the website itself. Most of the, quote, content would be delivered to the prospect via email. So that's where I'd say we may take a little bit of a deeper dive especially in drip campaigns that we have working where you have someone who will get email number one on day one and then email number two, maybe seven or eight days later, and then email number three, eight days after that. Something along those lines is where I'll take a deeper dive, you could say, into the IoT and the technology and, and those kinds of things. Got it. And so in terms of what you're kind of arming those salespeople with, what does that look like specifically? And are there other things that you're doing to help to enable your salespeople through marketing? Yes, yeah, certainly. It feels like they have often frequent needs for additional material. We do put out sales enablement for them. A lot of times, you know, we're working to try and create stuff that's going to be perhaps industry significant to the prospect that they're working with. So in other words, if they have a prospect who is in the industrial space, we'll try and create something specific for them so that they can understand the benefits of IoT in the industrial space. Likewise, if it's someone in retail, we will create something. And this could be a brochure, again, or an email. Uh, PDFs seem to be very, very popular with a lot of the sales folks. So we'll create something in PDF form with photos and text. But what we're looking to do is to really hone in on who the prospect is, what is their industry, what are the benefits that they're looking to get out of using Internet of Things software so that they really feel like it's resonating with them personally. Those are the biggest things that we're looking for in terms of creating sales enablement. Great. In terms of the customer journey itself, so you talked a little bit about how you're getting people interested. And then once they do express that initial interest, what does the customer journey and life cycle of a prospect look like? So they raise their hand or you tap them on the shoulder and they say, yeah, that sounds interesting. What happens next? Like how long is the sales cycle? What do they go through? Can you elaborate a little bit on your customer journey and how eventually you get somebody to have that name? of client or customer from the point of interest. 
Yeah, of course. The customer journey is actually fairly long, lengthy, I think, compared to a lot of other industries. I guess it's at least six months or so because you're really getting married to the person when you sign up with Internet of Things software. It's a pretty big enterprise relationship. We are becoming embedded in some of their most critical systems, and so they really want to vet us pretty strongly. They want to understand what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. The pricing becomes a pretty big discussion point as well. And so there's a lot of education that goes on both sides, really, because we're teaching them about our software and about how we work and how the team operates when we are building the software for them and who the counterparts are on the other side. At the same time, they are also educating us about what's important to them and what's going to be the key data that we're going to want to capture and how it should be processed and what are going to be the important KPIs that we should be building. So it's a pretty lengthy educational process that goes back and forth. And the team on both sides end up getting to know each other fairly closely. Again, a lot of this is actually occurring during the sales cycle. So before we actually get married, you're getting to know your partner pretty well here. The initial steps happen pretty rapidly in terms of the marketing side of things. We're educating them. We're sending them emails. We're keeping in touch. But once they kind of begin the conversation and it moves more into the sales and it becomes these kind of larger team meeting types of engagements, at that point, you're in for probably a couple of months of these types of meetings where both sides are doing a pretty deep dive on each other before we actually say, okay, let's put pen to paper and make this official. And how are you balancing things like developing content with the upfront short-term things of demand gen? Can you talk a little bit about how you balance those two things? Are they kind of one and the same for you? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm a big believer that you really have brand awareness and then lead gen and, of course, customer retention. And that those are the three legs of the tripod for marketing. I spend a lot of time on brand awareness because I want when some of our sales folks go and call on different companies, I want these companies to already know who we are and to make it a more friendly approach for our salespeople. So I spend a lot of time on that side of things. And then, of course, converting the leads. A lot of it comes down to keeping us in front of these prospects. That can mean emails. That can mean retargeting, advertising. That could mean continuing to throw things onto social media and, and people who are following us have them hopefully say, why don't I finally talk to Banyan Hills? So I spend a lot of my time in that upper part of the funnel, the kind of the upper to middle part of the funnel. And that's really where I try to balance most of the activities that I'm doing. And how has marketing changed since you got to Banyan Hills? What did it look like when you first arrived? And what are some of the things that you've done to change it since? Sure. So I would say that I I put a lot more emphasis on that top to middle part of the funnel than what was there previously. My focus has always been in that area because a lot of times I like to say you can't hit a home run from the dugout. And so I'm trying to get my sales folks out there onto the field to be able to get a hit or hopefully get a home run. So I'm always cognizant of how many people are searching for Banyan Hills Technologies. Are they coming to us? Are the new visitors to the website? increasing month over month and definitely year over year. That's been some place that I've been concentrating a lot on. I think that the, the marketing was in a great place when I got to the company and my predecessors did a lot of things to get us to a certain point that I was able to just kind of be able to pick up on and then really push a lot more on that kind of brand awareness and, and lead gen portion. 
All right, Steve, since you took us through a lot of those different tactics that you have, one of the questions that we like to ask our guests is around maybe a test project or a marketing initiative that you would like to try out. So let's say if you had a $20,000 budget and you were to implement a brand new initiative, what would that be and, and why do you think? Wow. Because IoT software in general is so heavy on the educational aspect of it, I would really love to do webinars around the, the topic of IoT, perhaps making each webinar targeted to certain industries, but definitely be able to do webinars because I feel like those are some of the areas where you would get the most bang for your buck in terms of perhaps a small but very interested audience who really does want to do that kind of deep dive. And a webinar is a place where you can lead the audience through all the different educational pieces that you want them to ingest. You also have the opportunity to let them sit there and ask ask you questions about X, Y, and Z, whatever's on their mind when it comes to the different types of things. It's a really fantastic way to interact with your audience and really learn about their needs are and what they're looking for in the software. I would build out from the webinar a, a huge advertising campaign to reach the different prospects that I'm trying to get them to sign up for the webinar. And then I would really build from there to try and get as many people as I could to fill that funnel to sign up for the webinar and, and, and learn more about the company. All right. Great. Yeah, it's always fun to explore what that initiative would be. We learn a lot from leading marketers as to what they're looking towards next, perhaps. So, well, Steve, we're coming up on our time here. So I wanted to, to ask a few uh, last questions. One of those is you mentioned you, you do a lot of research. What are some of your favorite resources to keep up to speed on, on B2B tech marketing? That's a good question. I, I do subscribe to, I may miss her last name, Hanley's weekly email, and that has a marketing profs, a lot of good information in there. I read anything from Google pretty religiously. I also look for information in LinkedIn and a lot of times looking through my competitors' LinkedIn profiles and then saving things that I think look interesting that maybe I could replicate or use in the future. So those are some of the biggest places that I go looking for, for new techniques and new ideas. All right. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, I'll make sure we update some of the show notes with those items there. And lastly, Steve, where should people go to learn more about yourself and your organization? Of course, you can feel free to find me on LinkedIn and connect. If you want to learn more about Banyan Hills Technologies, you can go to banyanhills.com, B-A-N-Y-A-N-H-I-L-L-S.com. And those are the places that you can go to find out more. All right. Fantastic, Steve. Thank you. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. It was great having you on Tech Qualified. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks, Steve. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us on this episode of Tech Qualified. If you're looking to generate engaging conversations with your ideal customer profile, while also positioning your tech as a choice in the marketplace, then access Motion's ultimate thought leadership course for B2B tech companies. The online course provides a complete step-by-step -step process required to establish a thought leadership program using a podcast or video series. Get free immediate access today by visiting motionagency.io slash access.